Well, before I say a few words about the gospel, I wanted to clarify and apologize um, for something that has come to my attention. Um, on Saturday, I did a talk on the Immaculate Triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And I took a lesson to heart from something that happened to me when we started live streaming over a year ago. During a live stream about 12 months ago, I mentioned a priest that I knew named Charles Mangano, who's out of New York, and he is one of the finest priests I know. He is a man of integrity, character, and he's the kind of priest I hope someday to be. And I pointed out that his conversion happened at Medjugorje. And I mentioned that this was a fruit of Medjugorje. I got so many letters uh, critical of that statement that shocked me. And so I went to my superiors and said, what should I do? And I was told very clearly, Father Chris, you stick with what is approved church teaching. Medjugorje is not fully proved now, in all fairness, it's not condemned either. But it's not fully approved, stick to what is fully approved. I kept that in my mind and heart. And so over the last year, we've gotten many letters on Marian movement of priests with Father Gobi and Garabindal and others. So as I started getting letters after letters asking, Father, what is the church position on Marian movement of priests um, and the locutions of Father Gobi? I thought back to my experience in my statement with Medjugorje. So this past Saturday, I made the statement that it is not fully church approved. Now, this is the truth. Um, I made the statement that the director named Father Albert Rue had stated that we are not to view these as in these inspirations, which are in everybody's heart, we're all inspired by God, but we are not to view them as direct supernatural messages from God, that they are to be viewed only as meditations and inspirations given directly to Father Gobi. Now, I said that, and in all fairness, I ended there. And I've offended many people. And in fact, I had to spend the entire evening last night justifying myself to my superiors. And I was wrong. Um, what I should have said was that Although this is not fully approved, as is, for instance, Medjugorje, it doesn't mean that there isn't some tremendous fruit and people, priests and bishops that are doing incredibly good work. And I think it's only fair that I say now that I wish I would have elaborated more on Saturday. What I should have said, 
is yes, this is church, not yet church fully approved, but that doesn't mean it's not good. It doesn't mean there's not good people. It doesn't mean there's not fruit. It doesn't mean that there aren't people tirelessly praying for priests in this movement of the Marian movement of priests. It doesn't mean that at all. What I should have said is that while it's not yet approved, it's also not condemned. That's the same statement with Garabindal. It's the same statement with Medjugorje. While not yet approved, it is not condemned. And so my heartfelt apologies to the many priests and bishops that are tirelessly contributing to this movement. Um, one of the people that came to me about this to state their concern of what I said made a good point. They said, Father, the world right now, especially the church, is divisive. It's, there's a lot of division. Mary movement of priests are on our side. And I said, you know what? You're exactly right. And then one of my superiors added to that, you have to understand, Father Chris, just because it's not yet approved. And I said, Father, that's why I said it isn't approved, because I got in trouble for saying there's fruit out of Medjugorje. So I feel like I can't win for losing, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do, give church teaching, not give church teaching. And this wise superior, who's much wiser than me, said, you need to realize that just because it isn't declared directly from the Virgin Mary doesn't mean it's not inspired. And I went, really? And this superior said, you ever hear of the imitation of Christ? Well, of course, that's a Catholic classic. Well, nowhere in imitation of Christ does it state that the author said Mary or Jesus directly came and these are directly from God. They're inspirations. They are inspirations in the heart. And one of our superiors actually talked with Father Gobi and said, Father Gobi said, I'm not claiming anything more than that. I'm just claiming that these are inspirations in my heart. And so when I read the statement from Father Albert um, Rue, and the CDF actually got involved, the, Conf uh, the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, and said, these are not to be seen as supernatural messages from Our Lady, but only as meditations from Father Gobi. On Saturday, I pointed that out, and everybody thought that that meant I was condemning the Marian movement of priests. I am not. I, Father Seraphim supported it, and, 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 and I'm not, I did not mean to condemn it. I think in our culture today, if we, if we say anything is not a certain way, that means we take it the opposite. So because I said that it wasn't fully approved, which again is the truth, doesn't mean I was saying it's condemned. It is not. And so Father Gobi said to one of our priests, I'm not claiming, I'm just saying these are the inspirations in my heart. So God bless all the tireless people, the priests and the bishops, 
that have been part of this movement. They are on our team. Yes, we, we do not want to make it any other way. Um, what I said was not incorrect. What I said maybe needed to be further explained and maybe done in a, a bit more better way. And so for that, I apologize. Now, why do I bring that up? Because it leads to this gospel passage. What makes that group a good group is they're based in prayer. Today here in the gospel, our Lord talks about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. What makes these three so powerful is they're actually the core bedrock of the Old Testament. The Jewish faith, <clears throat> we always talk about the confusion between Catholics and non-Catholic Christians, and you've heard me say this before because non-Catholic Christians will say it's grace only, and Catholics will say it's works, and the answer is both. Um, God's grace starts everything. We don't go anywhere without God's grace, but we need to cooperate with that grace. And one of the best ways we cooperate with that grace, the Catholics now teach through the New Testament, is love. To the Jews, it was prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, which to us Catholics actually can be the basis of love. If you put everything into prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, you've manifested love. And so what is our Lord saying about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving? It's the bedrock of the Jews, and it can be for us, and it should be for us too. What our Lord is saying here, though, is that your intent has to be rightly ordered. What do we mean by that? Okay, do you know that there, when we go into the confessional and we confess our sins, the sin is forgiven, all right? You've heard me say this, as long as you have a valid confession. What makes a confession a confession valid? You have to have three things. Your confession is valid if you have three things. One, you confess all grave sins you can remember. Not mortal, we don't know if they're mortal. Only Jesus knows if they're mortal. Because a sin to be mortal has to have, it's gotta be grave nature, you have to have full knowledge and complete free will. Somebody like a drug addict may not have complete free will. So the first condition is that it's grave, grave matter. And so if you're holding back or not confessing because you want to confess all these other sins, but not this big one because it's embarrassing, your confession's invalid. You have to confess all grave sins you can remember. Now, if you've truly forgotten them, they are forgiven. Second, you must have some form of contrition. Not perfect contrition, some form of contrition. Now, usually going into the confessional is enough because you want, you are sorry in some way and you want forgiveness or you wouldn't be there. <clears throat> so the very fact that you just walk into the confessional you are within some form of contrition, usually, as long as you're not being forced or, or something like that. And third, you must do some form of satisfaction, like your penance or some kind of way to make up for your sin. Now, if your priest only gives you, you know, and you have embezzled million dollars from your company, you've got an affair going on, you're cheating on your taxes, 
and you're defaming everybody's character to get up in the world, to move up in the world, and the priest only gives you one Hail Mary, it's probably not enough. You have to do some form of retribution or atonement as we pray in the chaplet. We have to have some form of atonement to be completing in that confession. And the best way of atonement, the best way of satisfaction is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Now here's how powerful it is. Do you know when you come out of that confessional, as long as you have a valid confession, as I just said, are your sins forgiven? Yes, they are guaranteed forgiven, or Jesus is a liar. You've heard me say this. Nobody's going to claim Jesus was a liar. You are guaranteed forgiveness because Matthew 16, 19, Matthew 18, 18, John 20, 23, whose sins you forgive, Jesus talking to the priests, whose sins you forgive on earth are forgiven in heaven, whose sins you retain on earth are retained in heaven. <clears throat> it's shocking to try to fathom that heaven has to follow the priest. Heaven has to follow the priest. That's mind-boggling. So the reason God set up confession is because when that priest says, I absolve you, now the grace doesn't come from the priest, it comes from God. He gave the, the grace to the priest. God's grace goes through the priest, not from the priest, through the priest. It's like a tool. When I uh, uh, drill something into the wall, I'm not drilling it, the drill is drilling it, but really I'm drilling it. The drill's just a tool. The, the drill didn't do it by itself. We're just that tool in God's hands as priests. Now, <clears throat> once that sin is forgiven, what about the punishment? The punishment that remains, and I've always said this, I don't like the word punishment, it's more like God's loving discipline, you know, like, like somebody that has to be grounded after <clears throat> making a big mistake and a parent has to ground a child to teach the lesson. God does that to us. Now, when you go to the confessional, the sin is forgiven, but what about the punishment? Does the punishment remain? Are you due a little bit of loving discipline from the Lord or is that wiped away? Is it there or is it wiped away? All right. If you have a valid confession, the eternal punishment due to sin, hell wiped away. As long as you stay in a state of grace, you no longer face the fires of hell. The only way to be lost to hell is to die in an unrepentant state of mortal sin. And by going into the confessional, you've just repented, you're forgiven, and you don't have that on your soul. So you are completely forgiven of all eternal punishment due to sin. But what about temporal punishment due to sin? What about that, a.k.a. purgatory, cleansing that we must need? And yes, purgatory is in the Bible. Somebody sent me an online comment, Father, give me one verse in the Bible that talks about purgatory. And I smiled and typed back, here's 25. Because <laughs> I keep them. I, I keep them. And so I cut and pasted it right in there. So 
There is a chance that we will owe some temporal punishment due to our Lord. There is a chance that that remains. Now, Father, what do you mean by there's a chance? You know, remember that movie, uh, Jim Carrey, Dumb and Dumber, where he was asking the girl if there was any chance that they could have a relationship, and he said, is there any chance between us? And she says, about a one in a million. And he says, so you're telling me there's a chance. And so there is a chance that we could wipe away even that in the confessional, the temporal punishment due to sin. Well, Father, how? All right. We can do it in a couple ways. The greatest way of all is Divine Mercy Sunday. Because all our Lord requires of us is that we go to confession and receive Holy Communion. That promise called the Extraordinary Promise of Divine Mercy Sunday wipes away all, not only the sin, but all the punishment. It's like you're a newborn baby. As Father Seraphim used to say, it's like, it's like a second baptism. It's not a second baptism, but it's like it because you're cleansed, you're spotless. There are other ways that you can wipe away that temporal punishment due to sin. You ever hear of a plenary indulgence? That is one way. But with a plenary indulgence, there is one condition that says you can have no attachment to sin, even venial. Hmm. You've heard me say, good luck with that one. Because if you found a way to have no attachment to sin, even venial, please, that's one letter I welcome. Tell me how to get it. I mean, I do welcome all letters. Please don't take it wrong. But that's beautiful if you can do that. I haven't found that way yet. I'm still gluttonous. I'm still impatient. I'm, you know, we all struggle with these things. So although a plenary indulgence is beautiful, there's hard to sometimes get them. That's the beauty of Divine Mercy Sunday. That's not a requirement. Just confession and communion. It's the best way there is. But that's only one day a year. By two days after Divine Mercy Sunday, I'm like, shucks. Now I've got to wait all the way to Divine Mercy Sunday again because I did this and this and this. And so I hear that a lot from good Catholics in the confessional. Father, this stinks because Divine Mercy Sunday was only a week ago and I've already fallen back in the gutter. Well, you got the next Divine Mercy Sunday. But there is these other ways we can get rid of not only the sin, but also the punishment. I just said one, plenary indulgence, but it's difficult because one of the conditions is no attachment to sin. Now I want to finish with there's another way. Now, of course, there's things like offering up your suffering that is redemptive and can purify sin and punishment too and all that. But there's one more way. There's one more way that you can wipe away all sin and punishment, and it's prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. But unlike Saturday, where I didn't complete the statement, I'm going to complete something right now that has to be said along with that, is with absolutely no self-interest. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray to your Father. Don't make a big show of it. When you fast, don't fast so that everybody else can see it. 
When you alms give, don't blow a trumpet so that you get recognized. This is the thing. The power of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving can wipe away not only all the punishment or the sin, but all the punishment. This is like a mini Divine Mercy Sunday. Now, unlike Divine Mercy Sunday, for the rest of us sinners who are broken, just confession and communion are all that's required. And, you know, a contrite heart, we have to, we have, to have rectification of the will on Divine Mercy Sunday. But prayer, fasting, and almsgiving can also bring us complete forgiveness of sin and punishment, all right? Because with the sacrament of confession, we're forgiven of the sin. And if we do some satisfaction, as I said, it's one of the three conditions, you can be relieved. It's a valid confession, but if your satisfaction is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving with perfect love, you can be forgiven of the temporal punishment as well. This is incredible. Is it easy? No. But think about it for a minute. Let me just touch on them and we'll finish here. Prayer. Now, is your prayer more focused on God to change you? Or is your prayer more on God to change other people? Or to change the situation so that you don't suffer? I just was reading of our founder father, founding father, uh, uh, St. Stanislaus Papchinsky, and he would pray that he gets more suffering so that the holy souls don't. Now that's perfect love. Most of us are praying, Father, don't let me suffer. And that's not bad. But he's praying, let me suffer more so that the holy souls don't have to. I'm like, whoa, that's a lesson. So when your prayer is perfect like that, guess what? You are forgiven of your punishment. So instead of praying to ask for God to do that, he prayed for it to be completely selfless, that he be suffering more so that the Holy Souls don't have to. And in the meantime, he's receiving complete purging of punishment. That's incredible. Or what about fasting? A good friend of mine, you know, like would say, well, you know, I like this fasting thing. I lost 10 pounds. Don't I look good? That's not the point of fasting. Fasting is so that our flesh doesn't control our spirit, that we put the flesh under the control of the spirit so that we are guided in virtue, not by the flesh. The flesh will lead us to ruin. The spirit is who has to guide us. So when we fast, we're letting the spirit control the flesh. So are we fasting to lose weight and look better in vanity? Or are we fasting so that the spirit can take over the flesh and we, 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 we give up ourselves, we deny ourselves, we sacrifice, and we unite with our, ourselves with those who don't have food. So that's perfect love. When you do that, you also can be forgiven of the punishment. What about almsgiving? Almsgiving. Now, almsgiving just isn't giving out of your surplus at a church service. <clears throat> almsgiving is taking something that you were going to use for yourself and giving that up for the sake of another. For let's suppose you had, you know, $500 set aside for a new television and stereo system. And you're going to buy that. Yours is fine, but you just want something bigger and better. And you decide, no, I'm going to give that to somebody who doesn't even have groceries. 
That's true almsgiving. Not just giving out of your surplus at the collection, but giving something that was really going to be used by you and sacrificing to give to another. When you do that, that is true almsgiving. Or do you write the check so that you could say, hey, Father, don't forget my picture for the front page of the bulletin, right? No, no, we don't do that. And I, please don't write me letters saying that I said you're doing that. I got this letter the other day saying that somebody was very upset with me because I talked about the importance of going to Mass. And that person construed from my homily that I was saying that they're a bad person because they can't go to Mass. Please, if you can't make it to Mass, you are sick or you are quarantined or whatever, I am not saying you are a bad person. I, I promise you. The church has already explained this. If you are sick, you are quarantined, you are unable to make Mass. Right now, that obligation is lifted. Now, it could change. The Sunday obligations may be lifted, but if you still can't go because you're sick or quarantined, then, then you're not morally obligated. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying the value of going to church is very important. That's all I meant. I didn't mean by saying that you should go to church doesn't mean those who can't are bad. And I think that connects exactly to with what happened on Saturday with my comments. So the point is, we do not want, as Jesus is telling us in this passage, to be a self-focus. It has to be a giving of oneself. And if you do prayer, fasting, and almsgiving with complete love, with perfect love for the sake of the other and for the glory of God, it is so powerful, it'll not only change you, it will help you to be forgiven of all punishment. It's cleansing. That's why the Jews put such power to faster praying, fasting, and almsgiving. Father, when I pray, God doesn't answer. Every prayer is answered. Sometimes it's just not the way we want. Well, Father, why if God knows what's good for me, doesn't he just give it to me? Why do I have to pray for it? Because he wants us as his children to ask. Do you want to have to tell your child to buy you or say happy Mother's Day or Father's Day, coming up as Father's Day? Or do you want to see them do it on their own? Every father would say, I'd much rather my child say happy Father's Day on their own and not have to have mom tell the child to tell dad happy Father's Day. It's the same with God. He wants us to come to him to ask of our own free will. And when we do that with perfect love, bam, we've reached the heights of sanctity. And when we've reached the heights of sanctity, we've become saints. And that is the purpose of why we're here, to give glory to God, love our neighbor, and to become saints in the process. And a great way to do that is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.
please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.